I'm Monica Perez, and joining me today is Buck Johnson, host of the Counterflow podcast and candidate for city council in Lockhart, Texas, barbecue capital of the world, I think. <laughs> it, it's, it's technically Texas, but let's face it, it's the world. Exactly. Well, he was a Ron Paul guy before I got my first Who is Ron Paul t-shirt, and he is on the forefront of political thought and counterthought, more likely to disagree for the sake of it than go with the flow. Buck will lure you up onto the high dive and knock you headfirst into the big pool. So strap on your tanks. We're going deep with a dive master. Buck, thank you for being here. That was wonderful. What an intro. It's so you true. It's true. Yeah, it's I was going to say, like, he will, like, make you uncomfortable, but I didn't, I just didn't want to, like, set, set you up, like, as somebody who's going to freak people out. But I, I will say this you, you are. Uh, unapologetic and unafraid in your positions as yeah. they grow and change. And I think that makes you on the forefront of thought. Um, and that makes you probably uh, a target or you know, some a, a center of controversy. I don't know. I don't want to put that on you, but I do want to get to that. So you seem to certainly have a backstory of hardcore libertarianism. Correct. And I, let me ask you this one simple question. Would you consider yourself a hardcore libertarian right now? No. Okay. So let's start. Give us a little bio. Get us from there to here. And then I want to talk about what you're doing now and why. Okay. A quick bio. Uh, I live in Lockhart, Texas. I, I can't say the fire department I work for for job security reasons, but I've been a firefighter for 24 years. I'm a lieutenant now, so I've got my own crew and, and we have fun. Can work. I just ask you something? So yes. I've, I have people in my, I have a huge family. So there are like union guys, there's policemen, there are firemen, there are okay. criminals, people in motorcycle gangs, <laughs> there's criminals. truck drivers, we've got everything. So, but from what I understand, the firefighters are the ones that get the really gory jobs. Is that correct? You That's see a correct. lot of like yes. underbelly and, you know, damaged people and all yes. that. You guys are there. Yes. Yeah, uh, we are there for everything. It's weird. People say, hey, you ever get a cat out of a tree? Yes. Um, <laughs> never save people from a fire? Yes. But if there's just, until I had this job, I didn't realize what people called 911 for. It's anything and everything. So, yes. <laughs> okay. Because I just feel like people are like, oh, yeah, you're a firefighter. I'm like, I think firefighters, they, they don't mostly don't just fight fires and there right. isn't, you know, I mean, there's scooping people up off the street and stuff like that, from what I understand. But we don't have to get into it. But I just feel like it's a little bit of a baller thing, even beyond just dragging people out of. It is. Of just yesterday morning, we, um, not I'm the boss, so I directed this. I didn't do it myself, but we uh, pulled a, a little dog, some kind of terrier type dog, out of a garbage truck. So things like that, <laughs> okay. things you would never expect, you know. All right. So I will, at the risk of sounding like um, uh, whatever, a sniffer of one kind or another, they, I'm from New York. So some of those people I know who are in the fire department in New York would tell me, it, depending on how bad the fire is in your house, you might want to take a minute and take your belongings because yes. some of the firefighters were recruited from the kind of underbelly. Oh, oh yeah, the firefighters the ones who steal. And that was true. 9-11, the, the fire trucks in the bottom of the building and the malls and stuff were full of gap gear from what I understand. Are you serious? They, they say it's a myth, but I don't think so because I knew people who were 
I, I mean, the, the people at the cops and the firefighters, I happen to know they seem honest to me and oh, yeah. I don't think they're them, but, but this was not uncommon. And I remember when I was in high school, the guys who wanted to like get on the cops or get on the fire, like it was definitely for job security and a long pension. And there was a lot of, there's, there's corruption in it just like in. Sure, in with anything else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, but like road work, you know, you move out of New York or Boston or whatever, and all of a sudden, road work is about like fixing the road, and like yeah. the guys come in, they fix it, and they leave. In New York, whatever, it's like, hey, I got on the fr- on the highway, and it's like, oh, I'll have that job for thirty years. You know, oh, gotcha. <laughs> every morning you see him sitting on the highway. Like so, so New York is a very different animal from most places. But anyway, so at the risk, just looking for a little balance there. Uh, okay, I want to interrupt you too much. No, that's okay. That was interesting. We, I've never stolen anything on my on, on duty. Well, let's put it that way. How about off duty? I don't think so. I yeah, wanted to clarify it by saying on duty, but I don't think I've ever stolen yeah. anything at all. I've done lots of bad things, but I'm no thief. If there's a pure anarcho-capitalist listening, which I assume there must be, they're going to go, well, he works for the fire department. He steals, <laughs> he steals our yeah. money. So fair enough. Um, so back to the intro. I've been doing that for a long time, and I host the Counterflow podcast. I'm an Orthodox Christian. And I'm uh, married. And let's see, I'm running. This is the weird part. I'm running for city council here in Lockhart, Texas, for some reason. Uh, it's an at-large spot, meaning it's not a district. It's So I don't just represent the district that I live in. If I were to win this, I would represent everyone in Lockhart. We'll see. We'll How see. many people are on the city council? There are six. Let me think. Yes, six. And then and- a mayor. For like 15,000 people? Is that how big Lockhart is? About 14-ish. Yeah, something like that. And what is the, first of all, how long is the term? You really put me on the spot. Holy cow. How do you not know that? I'm sorry. I'll edit that if you want. No, you can keep it on. It's it's none of the voters are going to be watching this, I assume. (laughs) I think it's two years. Um, uh, What I will tell you what's interesting about the city council here, it's staggered. So the, the elections are staggered. So this year I'm running for the at-large spot. That's uh, two at-large spots are up for election and one district is up. Two districts are up for election next year. The district I live in is up for uh, an election. There's an election, excuse me, up for the vote. It's on, it's going to be in the election. So if I were to lose this one, which okay, is you have another bite at the apple. Next year, I would actually, if I want to face the lady that represents me currently. So it last right. time she ran unopposed. So, oh, interesting. So how, you know, how much power does a city council have? Like, what do they do? What would you it, do? Not, it's not a ton of power quote, but you know, it, it, then there's a lot of tedious kind of boring crap. You know, I watched the, you can watch them live online, the city council meetings, you can go in person at this point too, but it's kind of, you know, drab, boring, you know, where are we going to expand this sidewalk? The sewage yeah, system. Do we need a stop part. sign here? Correct. And do you, so you haven't done this yet, so you don't really know, but I remember when I lived in Atlanta, there was a, a, an intersection that worked very well. And all of a sudden, I mean, it was great. Like there was never any lines. There it was a four-way stop sign. Then all of a sudden there was a light and a left turn signal and to sit there. I mean, then all of a sudden my commute or whatever, driving my kids to school went from an absolute guaranteed seven minutes to sometimes five, sometimes 10. And it was annoying to me. And I pushed back on the guy who I had elected to this tiny little position. 
He's like, did you do any studies? I was like, no, but did you? You changed it. So yes. I wonder, like, why he did that. You know, what goes, is somebody paying them off a little small, you know, case of whiskey or something? Or how do, how do you think it works? Those little decisions can can yes. be in somebody's interest or are there? It's funny. There, we, we, the exact situation you're describing, we need because we have a town square. It's an old, old Texas town. We have a town square. And then parts of the, you know, there's so there's four corners naturally. And there's parts of it that have a four-way stop. Then there's parts that have a two-way stop. And then there's one with a yield and it drives <laughs> drives me crazy. And I kind of laugh to myself as I, you know, like, are they going to stop? No, no, I better okay. wait. Hold on. And, and as that happens, sometimes I think if I win, I'm putting a four-way stop here. <laughs> okay. you know? But here's my question. Is it really, in, in your opinion, because what happened, I remember, that's how old I am, I remember there were no st hardly any stop signs anywhere. And you just knew when you were learning how to drive that the main road had the priority over the side Correct. road. My kids don't know that. So if there's a stop sign missing somewhere, they just blow through it. I mean, that Correct. they, oh my gosh. And it's yeah. so dangerous. And I just wonder, um, literally, I want to take your example. Why not take all the signs out? Well, you got a, a point, Monica. Now I'm going to have to think about this. I like yeah, it. And I'm, I'm not saying it's I'm right. I just I just want to I want to start from the assumptions. Yeah. And let people kind of uh, organically come about and, and, and understand how this works kind of thing. I think we're we're an old enough town that the, the population is old enough to where that would actually probably work. OK, it's not full of, you know, teenagers trying to learn how to drive yet. And it depends on visibility of that spot. Mm -hmm. And I think it depends on, yeah, like who how much traffic goes through there. I think there's a lot to it. So I think, you know, the reason I'm using that example, of course, is that you've made this transition from, I don't know if you were ever considered yourself an anarcho-capitalist, did you? Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, okay, right, okay. Yeah. So, um, and me too, and I I'm so, uh, like, it's really makes me uncomfortable that I have to second guess it now mm -hmm. because, I mean, I was so... I might say convinced or committed or whatever. I mean, I really, it just, it seemed obvious to me. It seemed obvious to me. And it, I was turned on to it by my uncle who was a priest who loved Murray That's Rothbard, right. you yeah. know, from, from the, the beginning, like my father who they're super Catholic and everything. And now all of a sudden I, one of the reasons I kind of pulled back on doing a daily show is I wanted to, I, I was like, there's a code to crack. Like this isn't the answer right now. There's an answer. And it's probably like Greek in origin, you know, somebody, you know, the Greeks probably figured it out and I just have to, and then a priest who listened, sent me a book about libertarianism in the church. And I was like, Oh, don't tell me the church figured it out. Like the burden of thinking that the church should inform the laws. Like it, I can't, I, I I'm totally uncomfortable with that. Even yeah. contemplating that. So I'm uncomfortable contemplating let's talk about where the stop sign should go like i am it's really sure. really hard but it may be true and how did you like get from there to here was it easy was it like childbirth like and where is here where is here That's for you question. yeah so i think maybe philosophically i'm not super far off from ancap because uh, in our society right now, there's no such thing. Let's face it. There's just not. You can call yourself one, but you're not. And as far as utilitarian purposes, you're not one. And it's like, I, I think the same thing about atheists. There's no such thing. Uh, you worship something. You don't have to call it God, but there is something. Um, so 
in a Hans Hermann Hoppe st- style private law society, covenant society, I'm I probably am an ANCAP in that sense, and I would like to see those kind of things manifest themselves. It's going to be hard, um, but in the real world, we don't have that. So at this point, to say I'm an ANCAP is it's like, well, what's what's the point? I mean, you can say philosophically, I agree with Hans Hermann Hoppe on on how things should be, but they're not that way. So one option is to live in a small town, try to get political power and not to like beat your head, beat your enemies over the head with it by any means. Certainly in, in small towns like Lockhart, this is I, I had a meet the candidates uh, moment the other night at this forum. We We did that for about an hour or two. There was not one hot button federal policy discussed. And, and we're in Texas. There was no Roe v. Wade discussed. It was interesting to take part in a political um, evening, let's say, and that I was a part of. And nothing about abortion came up, nothing about taxes. Uh, taxes did come up, but none of these hot button issues where they're like, oh, he's a Trumper or he likes Biden or any of that kind of stuff. None of it came up. So it was actually kind of nice to discuss things like this town is growing very quickly the infrastructure is not really set up for super uh, quick growth. What what challenges do we face in a small town like this? What cultural challenges do we face in a small town like this where there's a blue-collar sentiment amongst most of the people that live here, but a lot of rich people from Austin are moving here? What's that going to look like? What changes are we going to be facing? So that's kind of what I found myself in the middle of, and I was very comfortable in that. So back to the libertarian aspect, it would have been pointless for me to go, well, I'd just like to say I'm an anarcho-capitalist and I believe in a private law society. That's so far from where the discussion was that it's pointless. So baby steps, uh, that's what I would say. So I think you're touching on something really important and it goes to the heart of what the ANCAP thing really is. Two things, really. One is, is it the, so an anarcho-capitalist can't have that conversation at all, would not be in that room, and is therefore politically neutralized in Correct. the world as it is. Yeah. And I often wonder if, I mean, that maybe was a, a reason, like maybe it is was was promoted, was allowed to be in the public discourse mm-hmm. because of that, or the fact that it advocates no nation states because it advocates individual sovereignty. But of course, that vacuum could just as easily and looks like it will be taken by a global government. Correct. And then, um, so I don't know. It doesn't matter if it was on purpose or not. Although if you want to opine on that, that's fine. But then I have a follow-up question, which is, do you think that anarcho-capitalism or extreme libertarians, whatever you want to call it, do you think that some people could, like if, if, say everyone who calls themselves an anarcho-capitalist right now lived in a society together. Mm. Could they really live in an ANCAP society? A, could everybody in the whole world, even people who don't think that way, live in a society that was ANCAP? Or, you know, what? What's is it? where does human nature come in or different natures? That is a good question. It makes me smile and laugh a little bit too. The, the gatekeeping would have to be pretty extreme. And in fact, I, I you know, I mentioned Hans Hermann Hoppe. When I was reading some of his literature, it kind of hit me like, wait a second, it's funny that like reason libertarians and Cato libertarians, and then people that don't like libertarianism it just within society picture it like it's this do whatever you want. And, and there is no, you know, they always say, you don't, you like anarchy. That means there's no laws and this type of thing. They pretend it's just this like 
sex fest, drug fest, things like that. And I'm reading Hoppe and I'm thinking, this is more strict than than a lot of libertarians are willing to want to live in. If you're talking about like a Hoppian style covenant community, it's pretty dang strict. I just, I actually want to address that early thing. I don't, the covenant isn't even important. I think the sex and drugs thing that you're saying, like just free wild sex, and everybody's on drugs. Actually, I believe in a totally anarcho and anarchistic society you have basically no irresponsible behavior whatsoever sex and drugs specifically because like my sister died with a needle in her arm after mm. years of being subsidized by government welfare to the point where they would bring her to methadone clinics in a cab and kept her Gosh. addiction very alive and then fentanyl who the hell knows where that's coming from that and they whatever as a long story but she was absolutely not her life would have been different in many ways i don't know specifically if it weren't for welfare with for the laws for just the things that happened to her um the illegal stuff they arrested her and then she dried out and then she came back out and that's when she died because she had never been clean in so long like there are just so many things that contributed to that in this highly controlled society where drugs are actually outright illegal yeah. And similarly, sex, like if you if you don't, I think if abortion weren't legal, it would um, if there were no laws either way about abortion, I think it would go down because it was such a like it shocked the conscience. If you if you read like the proofs of a conspiracy, they're like, this guy is so bad that we heard like he procured someone an abortion. And um, so I think culturally, uh, like irresponsible sex would result in children that you had to take care of. And yeah. those kids would be a burden on you if you didn't do a good job. And it's going to be hard to do a good job if you don't have the right environment. So I actually think just pure strict consequences would quickly make a culture get in line, but maybe we're just too big now. Maybe we don't have yeah. those small towns and that, that too, I consider to be, intentional or foreseeable and the powers that be who set the stuff up for, even from the founding of our country were well aware that they were going to need a big apparatus of control and that's how we switched from the articles of confederation to the constitution yeah. and so you know yeah i'd like you to pick up on on that like do you so even the hoppian thing you know can people live like this i do want to know more about that and the hoppian thing tell me more about that I would look at it as it's going to have to be super small. And, I, you know, Lockhart's got 13,000 people. In reality, if you're talking strict anarcho-capitalist style, let's say, covenant communities, it's going to have to be much smaller than 13,000 people. It's going to have to be like like they say the states here, the United States rather than the United States of America. The states are like a checkerboard of democracy, even though I hate the term democracy, but that's what that was set up as supposedly. Um, it would be like that times a thousand or, or 10,000. They'd have to be, well, like Hans Hermann Oppa says, 10,000 Liechtensteins. So places like that, you'd have to be, for me personally, if it were an Orthodox Christian community and there were, say, a hundred of us or 200, I'd be completely um, happy with that. I think you absolutely nailed the number. They say it's, um, I was talking to Bellamy Fitzpatrick, the green anarchist who I love, and I don't know if he's around anymore publicly, but he said that there's been, I don't know if it's 
wisdom or studies or whatever, it's like 120, 150 people. It's like, and that's what most people send Christmas cards to. That's what I do. Like that's you how many Christmas that many? Yes. Is that a lot? Maybe it's an oh, urban gosh. thing. I, you know what? And these people probably don't even, every once in a while, not send any and see who sends me some. Yeah. And I still get some. So I feel like, oh my gosh, I have to send them. So it's, it's just old relationships. But the idea is that's how many people you can really know. Yeah. And correct. you really can't know more than that. And it would be impersonal if you did. And then at that point, you can know each other. And that is what like corrects how they behave because you can keep up on them. You could have yeah, right. a welfare system. It's just a pot of money. And if anyone yeah. was ever caught taking it without authorization... But I, but the thing about the religion, this is bothering me because uh, the, I, like I said, I wanted to crack the code and I was like, there has to be an answer to our problem. And I don't think it's fascism. I don't think it's communism. I don't even think it's like democracy, unadulterated democracy. And I'm, I'm, I, I think that where I went wrong with anarcho-capitalism, where what I bought into, which I think is wrong is, well, I, I'm not even sure yet. So I think the idea, the very all or nothing idea about government being really screwed up right now, really untrustworthy, really corrupt. It's a, it's a weapon against you. It's a pathocracy, truly. And, and Hoppe will say this too, like that isn't, that may be the inevitable outcome of any government. However, if you look at King's, or you look at, you know, whatever medieval Europe where I look at the church in medieval Europe and people joined it voluntarily. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, you look at the Inquisition and stuff. I, I don't know enough about the history to say, but, but there are, there have been, it's probably the norm historically. Well, I'm not going to go that far, but it's possible to conceive of and find examples of times where the king or the theocracy or whatever truly had its interests aligned with the people's. And oh, yeah. when they're putting those stop signs in, they're not actually trying to make people crash so they can get the money right. out of repairing windshields. They really don't want people to crash. Like, is, is that, is that possible? Is that normal? Is it typical? Is it religious? Like where, where is that? You know, what does that say to you? That's in interesting. For me, the lens I would view that through is that there needs to be some, yeah, I, uh, the old atheist me cringes even saying it a little bit, but it's true. There needs to be some type of moral uh, grounding and certainly, and I think that's where Christianity comes in. Now, an atheist is going to say, you know, uh, I've got morals and, uh, you know, Murray Rothbard was, was an atheist. And so he would say the nap itself the non-aggression principle is a set of a foundational moral uh principle let's say so i get that but i i certainly think the lack of morality in our current society is a direct reflection of the lack of christianity as well and so again the number of things is you know you could have a a quote-unquote christian society and if it's five million people you're still going to have all kinds of awful issues it doesn't matter if it's privately run publicly run you're going to have all kinds of issues because if we're fallen humans i mean that's just how it is so I, I again i think it has more to do with the number of people also not more to do with it but to do with the number like you said 100 150 
Uh, I hope I'm on the Christmas card list next year, by the way. Yeah, well, you got to give me personally, I want to see your cool house. Oh. Totally into the mid-century modern. What thing. is that? Yes, I really want to have. I want. I want to make you a martini in your house. Oh my god! And I'll bring my own like uh, vintage. You know the tiny little martini glasses, yep. and um, I just have a vision of that. So yes, if we make that happen, you'll be on my Christmas list forever. I will never forget you. Deal. So yes, but I think that that small number is important, not just because. I mean, I feel like the parish of my church is much bigger than 150 people, but um, because we're all we all gravitated towards that because the super based priest did not shut nice. down. Yeah, or, same you know, as mine. And yeah. everybody's there now, like it's it's full to the rafters, which just shows you the whole idea that like we liberalize the church to get more people there. Liberalizing the church gets less people there. I agree. But but they're they're a community absolutely racially diverse, like Catholicism. I, I mean, it's just everybody. There's Filipinos, there's Haitians, there's um just absolutely all kinds of people. And there is their mixed marriages. There's absolutely no racial animus whatsoever. And mm -hmm. my experience as an adult in Catholic Church, where I'm aware of that stuff, it's all about values. It's all being on the same page values-wise having the same goals. And in this case, like, I feel like it's karate. Like you hit through the board. It's like, not about this earth. It's about the next world. So there's just nothing here that's going to derail these people from that goal. It's really great. I love it. I'm actually not very active in it, but I really can trust those people and I can predict yeah. what they're going to do. I can count on it. And if somebody is off, everybody knows it and you love yeah. them, but you're cautious. You yeah. don't let them take over. Um, and so I think values are a big part of, of that, but I would ask you uh, two things. One is, um, my mother lives next door to, uh, Muslims okay. and they really care about old people and she lives alone and she won't, I want her to move in with me. She has eight children. Well, she used to have eight children. Now she has, or she's have nine. Now she has seven, but we're there for her. We're we're there all the time, but she doesn't want to move out of that house. And yeah. it's not suitable for anyone else to live in. She's been living it for 50 years. But they will they will bring her food. Like they, there's some, I don't know what their morality is, but there is something in their religion that they yeah. are required to take care of her. And they really care about her. Um and the the moral makeup of that family, they're very strict about their dress codes and everything. And they, what's wrong with that as a moral foundation for a society? Nothing. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, as you were saying that, I thought to myself, yeah, it's not, you know, my version of it's Christianity, but it doesn't have to be that way to be moral by any means. And, and I think the more, in fact, if you look at like traditional type of let, that you could call them conservative religions, certainly uh, Muslims are, are part of that, you know, <laughs> I'm not talking about the extreme, uh, you know, faction of that, but um, just your average practicing strict traditional Muslim, they're going to be, they're probably more moral and upright, if you want to call it that, to use the 80s parlance, uh, 80s term, is then, let's say, your modern American Methodist or something, or Unitarian yes. or yes. things like this. Where My father used to say he'd rather me go out with an Orthodox Jew than a fallen away Catholic. Yeah. Because like, one person that, is living by their morality. And um, so I would also say that uh, if you are in such a small community and there aren't restrictions about migration, immigration, which we can talk about that, but 
it's a voluntary association, especially if it's something you're born into. Like if you are born into it, you have the choice to accept the society as it is or move to a different one. I, I respect that. I mean, I guess there are problems with that I could think about, but I'm okay with that. I don't think you should have to abandon your homestead, but I would say the one who that if, if you're the one who wants to make the cultural change, maybe you are the one who should move. Whereas when, when a cultural change comes to you and they say, well, just move if you don't like it. It's like, well, this is my homestead. And I, you know, I was raised here. My parents raised me and my kids. Yeah. I've moved a lot. I'm not speaking from personal, but so I think the voluntary association there makes that the fact that if it were actually not just morally, but religiously informed wouldn't be the end of the world. And what I think one thing people get wrong about the church and state thing is when they, I, I mean, I, I cannot believe that we're having this open conversation because it makes me like really. It's freaked. so weird. Yeah. It is the first time I've ever like articulated this. I'm, I'm only like a third of the way into this book and it's just, it's bumming me out because I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, want. yeah. It's like scales coming up. I was just like, are, these are scales falling. I'm like, I, is it an intellectual process? Like when I was like, is socialism bad? And then in the end, I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. I'm just like, is it? Uh, I don't. I don't want to. What's behind that door? You know, <laughs> I don't want to know. But um, but so the the voluntary element of it is important. But what people don't understand about um, church and state is that the way that churches have informed the state in the past doesn't it, it actually the way the catholics this book i'm reading it's they don't persecute minority religions minority religions are not allowed to proselytize but mm -hmm. they are welcome to uh engage in their religion it's mm -hmm. just that the laws are informed by the morality so abortion would be illegal and there are places like that brazil ireland's like abortion would be illegal because it's considered by or philippines it's just considered to be immoral and like the muslim countries that they said the first thing that the americans did when they invaded iraq was like blast porn yeah you know because it's bad for people it's been right. porn is just bad for people like i honestly like i just I, i'm not prudish in the slightest bit i just think if you don't see how addicting that is and how yeah. I just feel like it carves the same pathways in your brain over and over again. And, and they're pathways that completely preclude the best things in life, which are like real love and marriage and associating with the objects of your desire. It's like, it, it's crazy to me that it's so obviously artificial. Um, so why is that? Yes, you're free to hurt yourself. And I, and I, and I get that. But the older I get and the more I have kids and stuff, I'm like, you know what? Was that really strictly necessary for me to be a fully formed person to go through the stages of debauchery? Yeah. You know, I was never a big like porn addict, but I'm just saying I had my own uh, vices and they were so stupid in retrospect. And I could have jumped. You know, somebody used to tell me, like, what are you staying up all night doing that? Why don't you just jump out of planes? Yeah. Like, you know, you probably have an equal chance of survival and yeah. one would be, you know, they're both thrilling. Like yeah. one and, and then but maybe jumping out of planes would be illegal. Right. So because right. it's bad for you. So I I just I you know, it's very hard for me to get my mind around it. But I did. I do. It was a thought that had not occurred to me that having a, a uniform morality and form a voluntary society doesn't necessarily require coercion. Right. And one of the issues with some libertarians, and and I'm not casting this over all of them because a lot of the ones I'm close with aren't this way, but there's this weird thing of like, 
you can't judge a lifestyle. Oh God, you're being judgmental or like, so yeah, we shouldn't have drug laws. Okay. You shouldn't throw someone in a cage for 50 years for sticking a needle in your arm, but it doesn't mean that I think it's like, you can't go, what a loser, you know, and, and, and the sex work stuff. Oh, it's, it's sex work. I can't stand that term, but like prostitution is not healthy. So should they be in jail for it? No. Should the guys paying for it be in jail? No. But to act like, well, you should be able to do whatever you want. It's like, well, okay, you shouldn't go to jail for certain things, but you should be at least banished from certain, you know, if it were my covenant community, I certainly wouldn't have prostitution on each corner. It looks terrible. It's unhealthy. It corrupts a society. It corrupts a culture. So to not want someone to go to jail for an action does not mean you also can't go, that's a bad thing to do and you shouldn't do it. Well, this is a thing that's definitely a part of our society right now. It's either banned or it's promoted. Yeah. It's mandated. That's why like the whole legalizing pot and stuff. I'm like, look, just don't regulate, don't tax and regulate it. Like everyone's like, just says you got to make it legal so you can tax and regulate it. It's like, the only things I don't want you to do yeah. is tax it because then the government right. wants you to do it and regulate it because then all of a sudden it's full of chemicals. Only yeah. the very top Correct. will get it. You absolutely will not. They will literally come out and grab it out of your backyard instead of turning a blind eye because you're taking money out of the corporate coffers. Yeah. Like the worst thing you can do. So there are, you could even have ostracism like they do yes. with drunk driving. You know, they right. could just, you know, just publish it. And, and that doesn't require government. So I think maybe where I, I might come out is that if you, what, what you could be, have the libertarian viewpoint, which is, keep land, you know, keep land safe for voluntary communities that have a, um, an agreed upon moral code. Yeah. And, and if your borders are open, you could have, uh, exile and immigration and, you know, I don't know, I'm thinking on the fly here, but no, I, I agree. I'm you worried cannot, about if there's 10,000 Lichtensteins, mine doesn't have to have prostitution. So in mine, that's against the rules. And the one a few miles away, they can, if they want to do that, um, they can't come into mine. There's going to be closed borders. So you can do this privately, right? In private law societies. And that's what Hoppe sp spoke about. But the, I just think it's interesting. You know, there's a, obviously a lot of libertarians that can't stand Hans Hermann Hoppe and they'll cherry pick lines from certain books. Oh, I can't believe he said this. This means he's this. But the real reason to me that they don't like him, the ones that don't, is because they know in his version of libertarianism, a lot of their behaviors wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> Interestingly enough. Yeah, because he's thinking about what what a good society would look like. Yes. And yeah, I guess the idea of doing things privately, that's another way to handle it. It's like, yes, you don't have prostitutes listening openly on the corners. It's like YouTube. Like uh, my kids, YouTube's very hard to screen. And if you, uh oh, there are comments, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, so YouTube introduces to my kids things that they would absolutely never otherwise see, whether they were legal or illegal. But they won't allow you. Isn't that crazy? I know it's it's really shocking, and yeah. and and they promote, and they won't they won't let me go in and set a censor like a 14 year old, a, you know, a bar. Yeah. For, like TV 14, they won't allow that. They And I've seen companies, I've really done a lot of investigation on this. Like there's some like media kids thing um, 
<clears throat> volunteer organization where they try to get, and they said that YouTube won't allow it. They will set up barriers to have those kind of screens on there. And then they feed my kids the cartoons that they like in porn. So there's My Little Pony porn. What? Yes. Ugh. It's so disturbing. And I'm saying like, it's if you want to use that privately, that's okay. But when you make it like, so it's soft. It's a, not soft porn, but it's a soft, it's a soft approach to, again, it's that your laws, your culture, whatever, is informed by a consistent morality whereby, you know, because we, even libertarians, do they don't leave their doors open at night for their kids to little toddlers to wander out right yeah you know right. you, you so there's a there's there's that that and, and we can just talk about kids specifically like you have your kids in a community and my kids are being hurt by people who hate them and those people are using the the libertarian attitude which i still have to you know, I'm not saying they should censor, but they are they're exploiting it because they hate us and yeah. they want my children to not function. And yeah. it's it's, upset, it's dehumanizing my children. Yeah, it, it's kind of that's the blind spot in, in, in libertarianism is that you can't have it in a society where your enemy will take advantage of it to hurt you. That's that's the blind spot. So in a small covenant community, you can have it because you set the rules or someone sets the rules, et cetera. You can't have it in the United States of America as is right now. Um, you just can't because the weak spot is, well, you believe in non-aggression. Um, well, then I'm going to inch yes. closer and closer and closer and push my stuff onto you and exploit your blind spots. They, the enemy knows you have blind spots. And so everything like everything in society right now, everything that's weak and 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 the opposite of beauty is 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 promoted as good and healthy, like this fat uh, models and stuff like that, and men that look like women is on the front of different magazines. And it's like, that's ugly, and they know that's ugly. But, hey, can't judge anyone, right? What are you, some kind of fat phobic? And so that that takes a blind spot that people uh, of, of, well, everyone can do what they want. And it's like, but then you it leads to only the weak people getting promoted and ugliness and beauty's gone. Like there's beauty and strength and you can't, that's all uh, looked down upon now because you're judgmental. Oh, you can't look at that person and think that. How do you know what they've, their lived experience, their truth, all of this crap that postmodernists use. But unless you have a strict closed society, then that can be libertarian. Um, you can't just have libertarianism in the culture as at large right now. So I'll, I'll say two things about that. And then I want to read some of these comments, which I don't normally do before the hour is up, but I think they're good. So two things. One is I feel like what you're talking about is also reflected in the false flags. So they say we need gun control because innocent people are getting shot en masse at schools. Yep. And I would say... I'm sorry if there are real ones, copycat ones, ages provocateur, and people die, people get hurt. Just because it's a false flag does not mean that nobody's getting hurt. And it really, this is so upsetting to me, but they do it to demonstrate something, a loophole that isn't real. And it's not, it's, it's not really a problem, which is why the fundamental laws 
of religion and government that have evolved over thousands of years and culminating in the American experiment did not reflect that stuff because it's not true. They reflected pirates. They reflect Osama bin Laden. They do that. And he is a creation, but he's a creation of something that was anticipated. And actually all this stuff is anticipated because universal gun ownership takes care of all of that anyway. So it is the laws that lead to this stuff. But I think I just want to point out that these false flags bring, they look for weaknesses that are there because they're not, there aren't real vulnerabilities. And then they say, well, we have to close that hole in this way and we can't have freedom anymore because of that. So it does make you vulnerable to that. Um, But I would say that in the small society, not only do you have closed borders and the rules that you've decided upon, see, again, I'm like, in that, in a small group, you would not actually need Rules, and I say this about religion generally, there is no taxation enforcement mechanism or behavior enforcement mechanism in religions. And yet more than half the world's population claim that they belong to like the three greatest, biggest religions. Mm-hmm. It's like almost every, it's like a billion in, uh, people in several different religions. And what do they do? They, they charity is a fundamental tenet and yep. self-control fundamental yep. tenets. I mean, that's, that's anarchism. So it, it matters, but what Bellamy was saying is like, if Bill Gates came, is the 150 people there, Bill Gates, this annoying, obnoxious nerd comes in, you know, and says, there are too many people here. We need to feed everybody spermicidal corn. You know, you would, he'd lash, shut the door in his face. You kick his ass like that, that Gates punk, like, you know, and eventually yeah. if he didn't stop, you'd be like, look, we feel sorry for you because you're a loser, but now you got to go because you oh, helicopter stop. tours. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, okay, let me, I want to do, John Jasper says, morals are easy. Do unto others. It's just common sense. Even animals seem to understand this within their family or herd groupings. Even politicians recognize the basics because they always promise to reduce government infringement of basic rights if they get elected. And I would add, John, that they always couch everything they're doing in those two things, in self-defense or in charity. Yeah. And safety and, and freedom. They they don't say liberty much anymore, but they do say freedom, even when it's not, you know, at this point where um it's an inversion. So when you hear freedom kind of kind of run when it's a politician saying it. Yes, freedom a lot of times is what they say about war. Yeah. You have to invade this other country because freedom. Yeah, yeah and to your point. They're fighting really, for your freedom. Re- really quick, you made a point earlier about the in, in Iraq they showed porn or something like that when we invaded. Um, I, I, a thing that I hope more boomer con red, uh, red state folks, I think they're coming to understand this, um, the older generation like my parents, but this stuff when you hate the federal government and you say, look at this stuff they're promoting drag queen story hour and this just degenerate society and, and, and the, the trans movement, all of this stuff. You realize, I hope now, that when we go overseas to invade other countries and fight wars, we promote that same thing there. Not we, we're not part of this, but we collectively, as far as the government goes, we promote that stuff there too. So quit giving your undying support to the military industrial complex. Oh, that's a great point. And if they, I know, I don't, when I first moved to Texas, I was just amazed. I did not, because I was raised by, a libertarian who I guess I would now kind of call a traditional Catholic, we, a con- traditional conservative, like we've talked about before, William F. Buckley. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I was going to unfortunately. I know. Are you, it sounds like you're kind of back to Buckley, except for without the CIA. Yeah, I was going to say. That's all <laughs> crap. Yeah. You know, he hated Rothbard. They hated each other. So I'll take yeah. the Rothbard side of that equation. Okay. But what, so I was raised by these traditional conservatives. But when I moved to Texas, yeah. I realized that. Um, and this is why my father would never call himself a Republican or vote Republican or anything. I moved to Texas and they were Republicans. Like they were voting Republican because it was in their interest. What the Republicans were promising them was in their interest. Mm-hmm. And I remember being kind of horrified by that. And they they were down with, they, I remember um, one really sweet Southern mom like bacon pies telling me that uh, Ron Paul had a dangerous foreign policy. And I was so stupid. I was like, what do you mean? Like he is for peace yeah. and non-intervention. Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, those people are going to invade. I was like, they're going to invade Dallas. Like, are you, do you really think that Osama bin Laden is going to blow up your house? Like we did that. That's when he had to start saying that's that false flag thing. It's like, that's not a real fear. It didn't really happen. It only happened because these pathocrats yeah. did it to make you scared to say what you're saying, but and they really wouldn't wake up or that they were 100% for God-given gun rights, but not for the drugs that God actually gave us, yeah. which grows out of the dirt, you yeah. know? I'm like, right. hey, come on, because it's bad for society. It's like, but guns, they say, are, you know, yeah. I don't think they are, but anyway, right. so that Republican thing that drove me crazy, but I, I I agree. Like, I think their hearts are in the right place. And I think Ron Paul was getting to them. And I think Trump kind of hijacked that to just tap into anger instead of our legacy. Look at Bobby leaving us a comment. Oh, is that our Bobby? (laughs) Great. Uncle Buck and aunt Monica solve the world's problems. I was thinking, I was like, really? Somebody think that we're solving problems here. You might be solving problems. I'm just, muddying the waters we're just discussing problems i know but like for me i'm just thinking out loud which is a huge mistake because i'm going to get a lot of criticism because i have not these are not well-formed ideas but we are i have to think it through because what's happening is just not working yes i agree oh i want to get back to this minder says there are barely any stop signs in sweden i love driving there and in portugal best driving in the world see that's good to know it's good yeah Anthony Raimondo, who I he's, think you might know. I do. He's awesome. He's checking in. Yes, actually, Anthony, I'm glad you're here because I have a two-parter with him that uh, I haven't released yet because I wanted to uh, have to take some time off to visit my daughter who's living abroad and I'm saving it so I can take a whole week off. So thank you for your sacrifice, Anthony. Hmm. Um, Dave says, uh, vote for Buck. What's up, Dave? Yeah, vote for me. All of you people, they allow mail-in ballots, right? That's the thing. That's what happened over 2020. Mail some in through to Lockhart. Oh, yeah. Let's get just cases and it. cases of ballots. How many votes do you think you actually need? I'm going to need, let's see. Well, it's the, the thing is, the unfortunate thing for me, probably, I don't know, maybe it's fortunate. This is a, a huge election year, right? It's it's where Governor Abbott's being, uh, I assume, reelected, but it's it's the big, you know, the midterms. Ooh, so next year, when the when my district's up, Probably no one's going to vote. But so this year, I don't know. Last time they won, these two people, it was around like they each got around 800 to 1,200, something like that. I uh, mean, that's not nothing. Our, um, a gal I love in Atlanta, Catherine Bernard, I mean, she was, her story was that she was, I guess, a delegate 
or an elector or whatever at the Republican convention, so a delegate, and her vote was for Ron Paul and they wanted her to switch it to whoever it was at the time, maybe Mitt Romney or something. And she wouldn't. And they said, we will get you whatever you was like. It was, I feel like it was like the devil on the mountain with Jesus and just saying like, we will, yeah, we will give you this district. You can have this if you go with us. And if you don't, you will never get elected to anything. And I don't, I think she's been plugging along at that for at least 12 years and she has never gotten anything, but she's running again, but it's like 800. She needs 800 votes. And she was, she's so good. Oh my gosh. She's so good. Um, so it's not to take for granted. And, um, so what, so you want to solve problems or what would be your position? And then I want to ask you some big, big picture stuff. Okay. Um, my main position is with this, this, this city, this town is growing. It is just is what it is. It happened over 2020, over 2021, and it's still continuing to happen. You know, this for the first time in the history of the country, the migration went opposite. It went from big cities to small towns. That's never happened since the industrial revolution. It's always been, well, we got to move to the big city to go to the grocery store, go to work, get jobs, et cetera. Now it's the opposite. The unfortunate part of that is that some of the people that leave towns like Austin and come here, bring their politics with them without realizing, hey, why don't I like Austin? Sure is a shithole, <laughs> if to yeah. use a Trumpian term. Um, and so I'm trying to guard the community that we have here against that sort of infiltration politically, the people I, you know, I'm not trying to kick people out or how or, are you going to do that? Well, by votes on city council, you know, if, if we will experience in this country lockdowns of some sort, again, um, if I have any say, we won't experience that in Lockhart. We won't experience any type of medical mandates. We won't experience any type of mask mandates. Um, basically any of the things that we've seen horrifically happen to the entire country over the last few years, any little piece of power that I have, I will fight against that stuff. So I feel like a big part of that, and it's possible probably with that crowd coming out of Austin is education. Yes, I would think, and I don't mean formal education. I mean, I, I mean like block parties. I mean mm-hmm. like having Fourth of July at City Hall mm-hmm. that is run that the people in Lockhart who care, like you, could say, "I, I need fifteen volunteers. We're going to do this, and we got everybody here, and we're going to show them what a community is like." But <clears throat> you know that doesn't have that we don't strong arm each other, and we mm-hmm. get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And as long as you have the numbers and you're the ones with the center of gravity, you might be able to bring them along. I have to say, I've mentioned this before, but it was really prescient of me. Like a few things that I noticed at the beginning of the whole lockdown thing, I moved to L.A. around that time. And as soon as I got here, I mean, everybody was leaving, but the, the way they were that they were promising raising taxes. They were closing the, the not only the bars and the churches, but the thing that got people to move. And I understood it by the end because I had like four different health problems. Gym. They closed the gyms. Yeah. yeah. And people were gone. And I said, they are trying to get people out of this city. And I can't tell why. I said, what I think is they have a surplus of Democrats and they want to push them into the small towns. Mm. So if they have one million Democrats, they can afford to lose them in, in L.A., but if a million people go to Austin, then it's blue all of a sudden because I saw it happen in Atlanta. Mm, sure. 
Yeah. So I, while I was there, when I first got there, I was like, if Atlanta goes purple, you know all is lost. Or not Atlanta, but Georgia. If Georgia goes purple, all is lost. And by the end, it was mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. But I noticed it about that and other things. They want to make smart cities. I think they probably need the population a little bit lower for that. But I felt that. And then when I saw it actually result in that, you know, predicting the outcome is a little bit of a validation of the hypothesis. Yeah. I think they did it on purpose. Um. So, so I get, you know, Austin to Lockhart just doesn't seem that bad to me. Although Austin did have that real liberal bent. And of course, that's oh, why yeah. they were welcoming the LA types. And then when you drive yeah. through Austin, A, it looked like it was pillaged yep. the last time I saw it. I don't know if it's still yep. like that. It was shocking. Yep. So we were going to move to Austin. Now I want to move to Dripping Springs. Yes. And I asked Bobby if I should move to Lockhart instead. And he thinks I might be happier in Dripping Springs. Hmm. I, I want a view. I, I, I win. Sorry, where I need a room with a view. That's all. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Dripping Springs is gorgeous. Yes. And then um, the other thing was it would look like it was pillaged. That was one thing. And Beto O'Rourke signs everywhere in Austin. Oh, I know what it was. Oh, my gosh. You would drive down the street and it was heartbreaking. And this is one of those things where for decades if not a century or more, there like no zoning or whatever was just fine. There were these cute little houses, one after the oh, other, sometimes yeah. in bright colors, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then like every fifth house, you're just like LA douchebag. Yeah. LA douchebag. LA <laughs> yes. douchebag. So it's literally like a, a house, a, a rectangle the size of the lot. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Straight up. Yeah. With you know modern windows and stuff and like yeah. you know a star you know a, a rusty star you know yes. on the door or something it's yeah. like oh no i totally get austin and it's just like uh, yeah i can't yes. and I, i'm a yankee like yes. i i respect i am not a part of that culture although when i moved to texas i have longhorns hanging on my like i was over the top like everything was just a hide you, you know, walked was, around in chaps yeah exactly <laughs> but i mean you would if you went to any kind of off the beaten place, play, they would have hides. It was like free. Yeah. I mean, my yeah. longhorns were 20 bucks. Like they were just here, have them. Yes. They fall off. <laughs> Take them. There's a ton of them. So it was different and I loved it. And I always wanted to get back there, but I'm really worried about Austin. I, I guess maybe we give up on Austin and, and hope for Lockhart, but you know, I don't think you're supposed to run. Like you, you got, somebody's got to hold the line. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't think, to be quite honest, I, it's, to win this p- particular current election is going to be super tough. The two people I'm against, it's, t- it's three of us for two seats. They're both incumbents, and they were both born here. So they've been oh. here for generations. One's a white guy who owned, uh, j- until just he just retired, but he owned the, far- the local pharmacy in the square. So he's, he's a shoe in it feels like, right? Yeah. And there's the Hispanic lady who's clearly the Democrat, so sweet, um, very well-spoken, I think she's got the Hispanic vote. That's what I fear, right? So yeah. we'll see. We'll see. And yeah, I'm this because you are the Austin exile. This, yeah, correct. And and so I did use that to my advantage um, because a question came up: how how do you keep the community as it is while accepting new change, et cetera, et cetera? Ah, I see, and I yeah. said, well, I'm I'm an example of exactly that. I I do want this community to stay as it is, and I am new change because I moved here from a town that everyone's getting tired of, yeah. just thirty minutes up the road. So we have to understand why this is a great community, why we love living here and why we wanted to move here and why we wanted to leave there. So 
Yeah. Do you do you have opinions on the the mood like nationally and in the midterms and what's driving the conversation? Cause I frankly cannot, I've never really been able to follow politics. I know that sounds insane, but I can't stand them because I it's it, I, I just assume it's they seem to me, they all seem to be lying to me. So I feel like everybody's lying and I don't want to worry about who's lying, you know, but I just, I feel like the whole MAGA thing is like a new tea party. Like, are you a MAGA person? Are they, is that driving it? Is Carrie Lake for real? Or is, yeah. you know, what's I the like story? Her. What's, oh, you love her. Yeah. She sounds yeah. great. She's so well-spoken because of her career as a journalist and yeah. And she, she calls out the journalists now. They hate I it. I know. Yes. And is that organic? Did she? She says that she and her husband kind of thought it up. And I just, you know, if she's super, super smart, I could see that. But I really just plugged into her as she became uh, popular national attention. But I just, you know, what's your vibe? Is stuff fake? Is stuff real? What's driving the country right now? What's the mood? Do what? Do you, do you follow Blake Masters at all? Nope. No idea. Okay. He is awesome. He is very well-versed, well-read on Hoppe, Rothbard, things like that. He's running as a Republican. Um, unfortunately, what drives me absolutely crazy right now is he could he could win his position in Arizona. Uh, I believe it's Senate rather than House of Representatives. Yeah, it's Senator, I think. Um, he The Democrat is currently ahead in the polls and the Libertarian's pulling 3% or 4% from him, from, from Blake <gasps> Masters. And it's like, Drop out of the race. This guy, sure, he's under the Who R. is the libertarian? I can't remember his name. His name's actually, it's Mark something or other. Um, and I, and Dave Smith actually got some flack for, I don't know that Dave necessarily said, I endorse Blake Masters, but Dave is certainly friendly towards the Blake Masters uh, candidacy. Oh. And so Good. some of the libertarian party are like, oh, you didn't, you're not going to support the libertarian. It's like, guys. You're cutting off your nose to spite your face here. If the Democrat wins, that's a huge difference than if Blake Masters wins. I mean, no. that's that's one of those examples of like this little loophole thing that's getting taken advantage of. And yes. I'll tell you, there's one one person I can think of who was the spoiler like that and has deep, you know, deep state ties that really. Is he in our circles? I don't know. I don't know. It's not, I doubt it would be someone unknown to you. Okay. I have a feeling how you're talking about. Just, you know, and there's like some of these, uh, you know, there's an anti-vax doctor who's like that too. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop in this case. So, so that kind of thing makes me think that it's like my listenership. <laughs> as soon as I get to a certain threshold, I get trolls. And yeah. when I don't, I don't. Mm -hmm. so as soon as i and i'm like oh am i all of a sudden reaching like that one extra person who yeah. thinks i'm a russian shill or <laughs> do you hear that sometime i only did like i had just i really peaked maybe it was after i was at freedom fest and i like i i hosted a second stage that a second stage because of covid and um my listenership just really spiked and i felt like it was more likely that I triggered something mm -hmm. because my years in radio, if I said something like the Boston Marathon bombing was something where I would get definite like feds call, you know, trolling really? me. Okay. Yes. As, as a story for another day, but yeah, I definitely saw how it worked. It was like a critical mass moment. And then it was like, shut up. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
shut up. And I really haven't had that much reach since then. And it really happens. But I look at it and I think, okay, so now I wonder, they put in a perhaps, let's just say there's a deep state operation afoot. They put in a libertarian candidate that has both a floor and a ceiling. Yeah. So it's not going to have a ceiling enough to like really move the dial. That's why it always comes in at two or three or four percent, just the exact margin. And then, of course, the left and the right are so close now. The Democrats and the Republicans usually are so close now that that little sliver can make the difference. But I feel like it's quite possible. I wouldn't put it past them that if it weren't happening organically to be just right in that sweet spot as a spoiler, they would come in and push it down. Because that's another thing. I don't believe in the in the voting. Yeah, that's so. And the thing about Blake Masters is, as far as I can tell, you know, I I could be fooled. Who knows? But he seems to be the real deal and an actual good, really, really good Republican. And so, you know, my example is mentioning that Dave was at least somewhat supportive of his candidacy. So someone as as pure, purely libertarian as Dave Smith also recognizes that Blake Masters is, is seems to be the real deal. Much like why would you run a libertarian against Thomas Massey? Right. Or Rand. Right. Or or. You bet they better not do it against DeSantis. So, th- in fact, I think they are. I, I, this DeSantis guy, is a deep state, though. I don't care because I just, I'd rather have just, a deep state DeSantis than a deep yeah, state Biden. Correct. The, the, you know, the guy yeah. that DeSantis beat by what thirteen thousand votes turned out to be a, a a homosexual crackhead. So, and who would have certainly locked down Florida? We 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 could at least say that. So, see even, that matters to me. The homosexual crackhead. I mean, we've yeah. had. I think. He's just we've, not going to be in my covenant. We've community. survived that before. <laughs> um, uh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I just, no, but I, I just, I think, I mean, I, Ron Paul was our greatest hope, I think. Yeah. And I'm not saying that he wasn't there to, to derail, you know, to pull people out of the Republican party, you know, whether I'm not saying he would intentionally do that, but maybe they allowed him to get beyond a certain size because it would create a schism in the Republican. But that's why I worry about that Cardinal Vigano or Archbishop v- uh. Vigano because hey, he says everything right. But like if you're there to create a schism, <laughs> you know, so that the other side is then unopposed, then that's in itself a problem. But um, once Trump hijacked the momentum of the libertarian, you know, the Ron Paul yeah. Ron Paul was, you know, he won Iowa. Yeah. And it, like, that was it. <laughs> they were like, this has got to stop. Uh, I just don't feel like this is what I had been worried about. Am I going over your time? No, we're good. Okay. I, so we're not, I think what they were worried about is, Well, let me put it this way. I worry that, okay, yes, this is what they were worried about. They couldn't break the connection. So when I got on the radio, I was amazed. I had a radio station, a radio show on terrestrial radio in Atlanta. And I was amazed at how many people would call me and say, like, I don't understand why the Republicans who are on this show, this radio station, don't say the things you're saying. You're the only one who like mm-hmm. harkens back to 
the founding principles of this country. And I was already an anarcho-capitalist by then. And the compromise I made with the station was like, I can defend the Bill of Rights. They didn't need me to compromise at all. But I said, I don't know how I'm going to talk to these people. And they said, well, think about it. And I did. And I said, well, I agree in the Bill of Rights as restraints against the government, you know, so I will defend that. And I put everything in that context from there, from then on. And I was amazed at how how well-versed people were in the principles I was raised on, which I thought were a minority of 1%. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that legacy, so I was, I was talking to Greener Postures last night and she does, Lanny does fermented foods and all of that. And I was like, wow, there's a legacy of homesteading, of motherhood even, of parenting that is being excised from the whole society by separating parents and all that. Um, there was a legacy of this American experiment and in our our foundational consciousness, whatever universal consciousness that they really could not break. And and Ron Paul was awakening that. And I Mm -hmm. feel like they they absolutely had to hijack that. And they did it with Trump, with him being just angry, you know, and I don't blame him. Like he was tapping into their anger instead of their intellect. And (laughs) and I. You know, so I feel like that they they big T they, you know, whether it's Republicans or I don't know who Charles Koch, I really don't know who actually did sever that connection with the past. And I feel like I feel like it's going to have to reemerge from a totally different source now. And that that just sets it way, way, way back. So now I'm like, you know what? Give me the Ron Paul. Uh, well, I, I would love to have Ron Paul, but like. If I have to have the DeSantis guy or even Trump, like, you know, even have Trump over Biden. Yes, I would have that. I would rather have somebody who's going to even just pay lip service to some kind of, um, you know, I can't think of too many things that Trump did that I really he thought was, was at least lasting. Rhetorically anti-intervention, I would say. Yeah. And, and he, 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 you know, he stood in. I think it was South Carolina and saying the war in Iraq was a mistake and a disaster and, and looked at Jeb and kind of blamed his brother for being a, a screw up. And it's like, fair enough. You know, that I, that kind of rhetoric does come easy. But I think he did probably deregulate a bit like that. He did. was yeah. probably good. Um, and maybe DeSantis, depending on the mandate that he feels he has from what gets him elected, that he, you know, they have to do. Sometimes they just have to do some things that you want them to do. Yeah. And if you tell them you want them to be do what Biden says he's going to do, that's worse than if you tell them you want them to do what DeSantis says. So yeah. I'm, I'm more like, uh, I'll take what I can get. I'm never voting for anyone but Ron Paul for as long as he's alive. So you can forget me, but uh, it doesn't mean I wouldn't rather have, you know, some, s- someone who has to pretend like they don't hate me. Yes. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. my bar. <laughs> it's, it's a low one, but that's where we're at. You know, I, I'm the same way, at least rhetorically pretend to be on my side where I can somewhat believe you. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So, um, or hold them accountable to it. I don't care if they yeah. don't want to do it as long as they have to do it. So what, so let's wrap. I want, if you wouldn't mind, was there anything that you wanted to talk about? Because, I just talked about what I wanted to talk about. Well, that's why I'm here. You, you know, okay. I was happy having you direct the conversation. Okay. You're the pilot. I'm the co-pilot. 
Yes. Okay. But you know, you're, you're such a, you know, you're a pod master. So I feel like you are the, you are, I'm not the best interviewer, but you might be the best interviewer. So. Oh, well, that's sweet. Like, yeah. I, I thought this was, it sounded like a, a comfortable conversation. Yes. That's all I do is conversation. And that's some people expect the kind of, you know, get to the bottom of it with the other person, but I'm just here to exchange ideas. Mm -hmm. So tell people about um, if you would, in a nutshell, as a wrap, your show and what you're, and, just the specifics of your campaign, if uh, you feel like you haven't made that crystal clear. Um, well, the specifics are, just to retouch on it, I am running for City Council of Lockhart, Texas, the at-large. There's two at-large positions. I'm running for either of them. I'll take either one. There's three of us running, so we'll see. The other two are incumbents. I recognize it'll be hard. So also, the Counterflow podcast is my show. Find it on YouTube for now. Everyone knows how to find that. Search Counterflow with Buck Johnson. You'll find it. I'm on all podcatchers. Uh, counterflowpodcast.com is the website. And Monica's wonderful producer produces my video content on YouTube. Yes, I love Bobby. So, uh, and he introduced us, I think. I Did think. he? Yeah, he might have hooked us up. I yeah. think maybe. I met you I at Childerberg. Oh, yes, that's true. And I met him at Childerberg. So yep. there you go. That's it. It comes full circle. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that was super awesome. Thank you all for coming and for listening. I'm Monica Perez, and this has been a live dive.